Listeners, welcome back to the AC Podcast. This is Andy Steiger, and I am joined by two special guests today. I have Zalata and Vitali with me. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you for having us on the show. Yeah, it's an honor to be here and speak about what's happening right now. So these are uh, some Ukrainian friends that actually have family in the Ukraine right now. And we want to talk about the Ukraine and we want to talk about what's going on there. I should say the the intro that we had for the show was uh, Christians in the subway in Kiev, if I'm saying that correctly. They're, they're nodding their heads. Yes, I'm saying that correctly. Uh, in Kiev, they're, they're in the subway uh, sheltering and they're singing. What, what were they singing? Um, it's a very famous song that I grew up um, singing. It's a song about, it's a prayer for Ukraine. Uh, when the main words is that, hey, Lord, come and come and save our people. And thank you so much for um, coming to the earth and saving us all. So that's a, basically a prayer for people of Ukraine to come to the Lord. There is also a part that says, you've been given us peace which is a very interesting perspective that that's what they're singing right now because it's it doesn't really align with what's happening, but their faith goes beyond of just like saying that this is what we believe in, this is who you are, and this is what you're going to bring. This is These are interesting moments when, you know, these sorts of events happen, like like an invasion, where I think that as Christians, we get a taste of historical Christianity. We get a taste of what Christians have gone through in the past and the kind of prayers that have come out of that, the sort of hymns and songs that have come out of that. But I also think about the Bible. And I think that there's Psalms that we read in the Bible that don't hit us when you're not in the middle of being invaded, like they were on a regular basis. Yes, that's very true. And once you're going through those things, you kind of realize, oh my goodness, like, you know, now it's hitting me. It's like the other day I thought, you know, we live in the same world, but with two different realities. You know, just a week ago, you know, my prayer was, you know, for my tax return to be good. Now I'm praying for my family to stay alive, you know, and what they're experiencing is is completely crazy. And like, we're just like, how this is happening right now, you know? So it's very true. Let's jump into what is happening right now. Um, Zalata, let's start with you. Give Give us just a little snapshot of who you are you know, your connection to Ukraine, family you have there, uh, as we get into this topic. Lots to talk about. So we'll just, we'll start with baby steps. Yes. Uh, so um, my name is Lata and I was actually born in Russia uh, and I was born in, during the war of Russia and um, uh, in Caucasus and Chechnya. Uh, and my parents together with MCC went and um, did some relief work and war relief work. And today talking to my mom, she was like, I would never imagine that something I learned 
23 years ago in Russia and in Caucasus area, I have to implement right now. Now, when you say talking to your mom, she's she's in Ukraine right now? Yes. Uh, both of my parents and actually my brother, sadly, who is a Trinity Western student, uh, is currently in Ukraine. Uh, they are from Zaporozhye area um, and um, it wasn't invaded yet. Um, it's in eastern Ukraine, uh, but they decided to move along um, side to western Ukraine and um, to go to a city called Ushgarad because my dad works for an organization called Dorcas Aid International that will be receiving a lot of um, humanitarian aid and he's there to help. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I... That's interesting because I, I actually recently just met your parents. They were here, yep. uh, you know, visiting. And in fact, I, I, when I contacted you, I wasn't sure if whether or not they were still here or if they had gone back to the Ukraine. But clearly, they've they've gone back. Vitaly, tell us tell us about your uh, connection with the Ukraine. Yeah, I was born and raised in Ukraine. I was born in the southern part of Ukraine, Kherson, um, state capital, and. My mom's roots are coming from uh, from Russia, from Siberia, and my dad is Ukrainian with Belarus, and uh, it just tells us like that it's a mix of uh, of like people and nations over there. I moved to Canada in 2017 to go to Bible college, and then uh, decided that for for a little longer I'll stay to assist, like just financially help my family as much as I can to and being on the phone with my parents they're in still in Kerrison decided to stay with the church and doing as much work as I as they can just uh, bringing food to people but also praying with them and staying strong and this morning my dad was like now we understand why God kept you for for longer because they would want they wouldn't want me to be there at this at this point of you know history and Ukraine. Now, before we started this interview, Zalata, you said that Vitaly's from a more dangerous part of Ukraine. What did you mean by that? I said that there that because uh, his city was actually um, captured by Russians currently or in a process. So um, it's been a city where Russians would take over and then Ukraine would take over. So they're kind of in the middle of the battle while the city Zaporozhye is still under Ukraine. Um, and it's a little bit more safer there. Yeah, we also know that Russian military forces, they uh, multiple times made it very clear that Kherson, southern part of, uh, of Ukraine, is a very strategic place for them because that's how they can actually get access to Crimea, which was taken from Ukraine in 2014. So that's kind of like the area that they're targeting because that's their uh, transport can go through there, food supply, You said it was supply. taken from Ukraine or taken from Russia? Crimea was taken from Ukraine in 2014. Okay, from by by Russia. Yeah, it was there was a long story. It's annexy of Crimea, and people had voting, and um, it was very interesting. Right before coming on the podcast today, I was actually talking to some of my friends, and they were remembering what was happening in 2014, and they said that the reason why Ukraine had no resistance for Crimea to be taken by Russians in 2014 is because it didn't line up in our heads that we would be shooting brother nation. You know, like, how can we shoot at someone who is actually so near to us and who we had such a long history with? Yeah, I would agree. And the same what happened in Crimea, but the same also in Donetsk and Lugansk, the areas that rose up and said, hey, we want independence. Um, those rebellious areas, like, we just didn't feel like we want 
that's where my mom comes from. Like those cities, we didn't feel like we wanted to fight against our own brothers. Yeah, we also have to understand that like those cities that raised, you know, a voice saying that they would want to be a part of Russia had a very small percentage of actual you know, Ukrainians saying that it was a part of a very long strategic plan, you know, from a Russian government to plant separatists, you know, like people that are like going to create diversion and speak up for Russia. So it was very, um, it was very provoking act on Russia's side. And later on, it was discovered by multiple, you know, sources of information. And, and we realized that a lot of those people that were you know, focusing on becoming part of Russia had already Russian passports. So they were not citizens of Ukraine speaking up for, you know, for Russian government within Ukrainian territory. I, I think that this is absolutely an essential idea that's happening here where ideas have consequences. You know, we have embraced a, a post-truth kind of culture that has really become the foundation of propaganda that that has just been infiltrating infiltrating the world but russia is just very strategic at using it and like cuz i think that this is like a prime example of not only you know sending people in with with a voice to to give provocation to go and this is also by the way interesting a lot of people when they look at history would think oh you know you know, you would almost think, oh, somebody wants to just do evil and that's why they're going to go take over. But what in fact happens, like we're seeing right now, is no, the, they're always going to spin things as though what they're doing is is good or right. And and, and just one last thought on this, because I think it's, I was just, it's just so ironic because I was reading different news agencies here in the West that were saying, oh man, this propaganda issue and what Russia is doing is such a problem. I'm like, yeah, it's a problem, but don't pretend like your hands aren't are clean, and, you know, and all this. I mean, we got a real media, you know, problem. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so important that we talk about this today, because there's a lot of people that just are are not even sure what's happening in the Ukraine be, because of what's being what's being portrayed in, in the media right now. Yes, that's very true. I don't know if Zlata would want to touch up more on that and then I have my say. Yeah, I think um, the propaganda starts from... Um, people saying, oh, hey, are you from Russia? Mm, no, <laughs> I'm not from Russia. I'm from Ukraine. And um, there's a lot of um, talk been here, but also in Russia itself that um, Ukraine is part of Russia and it's part of a culture of Russia and it's it's our land and it's our. But actually, our cultures are different. It's some similar in some ways, but it is separate country separate culture and separate history. Um, we had some moments where our history aligned um, because we were part of the same union, but um, we are different. <laughs> yeah, I, <clears throat> I feel like looking into the history, which is like very important right now, I find it very relevant in this time because a lot of people are like asking, what's Ukraine, you know? And I think what's really important to understand that Ukraine was never part of Russia. Russia and Ukraine and Belarus and other countries were part of Soviet Union. So now when Ukraine realized, you know, that 
this has been a little bit draining for our country. You know, like we have a, a far better future on our own because their economy was skyrocketing. You know, like we were basically carrying a lot of, you know, Soviet Union valuable moments and achievements in the history of, you know, of Soviet Union. Like the biggest plane came out of Ukraine, you know, the carrying, like the carrier, you know, and it was recently destroyed in this war about like two days ago from a missile, from a Russian missile. And the, the name of the pr- of the airplane was actually dream so now our president made an announcement and he said they destroyed our dream but we're going to build a new one so there's a lot of courage so looking into the history it becomes very clear that ukraine has its own culture its own language its own constitution and therefore it has a right to be its own culture because it was country it was never a part of russia it was part of soviet union and decided to you know go its own way and in 1991 you know we got our independency it's a sovereign country we have our own right you know to go our own way and now this is a chance for them to take it away because vladimir putin president of russia made it multiple times like very clear you know saying that he finds ukraine very like very valuable because it was an industrial and farmland of soviet union we were providing a lot of food for europe you know and we also had a lot of automotive uh, you know industry was developing and growing so so well and i think that's that's their target losing ukraine means losing something very valuable Right before this podcast, actually, I looked into history, Ukrainian history, and I was like, hey, maybe I'm crazy. Like, I don't remember history well. But actually, uh, the first time Ukraine and Russia united uh, into something was uh, probably in the 17th century. Like, that's um, when the borders were changing and actually Russia needed help. So you, the Ukrainian army, especially Cossacks, would help Russia. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> That's so true. There's a term Kiev Rus, right? Which means Kievska Rus, which which means like that uh like Kiev um was the capital of like the entire, you know, uh part of like Slavic nations. Like everybody recognized Kiev as the capital for many Slavic nations throughout so many years, you know, and then later on when it was a Soviet Union, you know, which they thought would be a good idea to unite nations of Slavic people. And then later on when Ukraine realized that they wanted to go their own way. So it's very, very true. Yeah. It, it does have a long history, particularly with Mennonite culture, because a, a lot of uh, people fled from the Ukraine. Uh, Mennonites fled, fled from Ukraine. So it's interesting how, you know, relevant I think this is for a lot of people that here, you know, it's it's happening again. And I hear... And, and they're talking about in the news that hundreds of thousands to potentially millions of people are are fleeing now the Ukraine. Uh, what are what are your parents saying? Like you, you were saying that you're talking to your parents today. Like what what are they seeing and experiencing in Ukraine right now? When it all started, I was on the phone with my mom, like literally. And then all of a sudden we hear explosions in the background. We we've heard that something like that has a, you know, potential of unfolding in such a way but we never expected that it would be to a scale of a war you know we thought maybe a conflict that we've been having with russia ever since 2014 you know in those areas of ukraine that are like completely under pressure of russian government so then we never thought that it would escalate so quickly when it all began my parents uh ended up uh 
calling all the children, you know, like that were still in Ukraine and lived nearby. And they ended up sitting around the table. And my dad said, I'm not going to leave the city. Well, there is, there are, uh, you know, members of the church that are old enough and they can't travel. And I, and I recognize that it's very important for me to stay here. My mom said she's going to join him on this, on this journey and stay here, like stay in Kherson. And they were deciding it as I was on the phone with them. And, you know, my older sister said, I want to stay here and support my parents. And my dad said, like, I recommend you guys to to go to all the children, right? So two of my sisters ended up uh, going across the border just a day after war started. They were very blessed to, to have that opportunity. Uh, they crossed the border. Which country did they cross into? Poland. They went to Poland and Poland has been very kind and welcoming and they said just come through the border we'll check the passports later you know like we'll make sure that you have refuge and that has been very it's it has been a huge blessing now due to martial law my uh, brother and my brother-in-law couldn't cross the border because if they would be noticed at the border they would have been given a fire weapon and mobilized for a third wave of you know um mobilization for young people from 18 to actually 60 years old to be fighting for their freedom that would that's something that they would have to be doing so they couldn't cross the border and ever since you know like it's just a very different dynamics like now my family's on uh three parts different three like you know two my two of my brother and brother-in-law are still in western ukraine my parents with my older sister are in kerson city southern ukraine and two of my sisters are in Poland now. So what is your parents saying about what's happening now that it's under Russian control? It It is a very interesting situation because um, it's not something that we ever wanted. We definitely want to preserve our language, our culture, our constitution, our freedom. And it's not something that we would ever want to go through. So now that the city is under Russian control... Uh, we're not experiencing any relief, you know, that Russian propaganda is saying that they're coming to rescue and deliver people. Like, it has been hectic. My parents constantly getting news, you know, from the mayor, from the from their source of communication, which is, like, very interesting how in modern-day technologies, like, saving people's lives, you know. I'm a part of a Telegram group on which you can see every five minutes, like, Kherson City, take cover, missiles coming, or airstrike coming. And that's that's been very helpful too for people to actually stay alive. And that's not something that they ever wanted to experience. And they're praying about salvations right now. My dad actually personally had interactions with military soldiers, Russian military troops that were crossing behind the city because he was going from one property to another and also bringing food to people. And he ended up having interaction with them because you have to stop if they see you. And in the middle of the conversation, he realized that they were very scared. They didn't know what they were doing in Ukraine, but they were also hungry. And for that reason, a little bit aggressive, you know, looking for places to to eat and find food. And that's not something, you know, that uh, my parents would ever want to experience. Um, for my family, um, actually, my dad works for um, a nonprofit. Uh, and I think several weeks ago, they work right in the villages where the um, two territory, rebel territories were. And several weeks ago, uh, Russia started evacuating people and um, kind of telling people to move or go to Ukraine or go to Russia. And at that point, my parents um, were saying, oh, maybe they will have another kind of 
move towards our city because we would be the next geographically. So thankfully, they were able to, with Canadian support, um, buy some food and buy some supplies for people in Zaporozhye. Um, and so they, we were ready, but we did not expect the whole country to be bombarded with Russian troops. And I think that's what caught a lot of people uh, with surprise. Like our city was already kind of uh, scared and ready for armies, but not the whole Ukraine. Yeah. What what does what does your dad do for work, uh, Vitaly? He he is a full time pastor. He planted a church in Ukraine, and he's actually a bishop of southern region of of Ukraine. Um, he planted um, the biggest Pentecostal church in in Kherson, and he also. He also planted multiple daughter churches that are connected within the area. That's why it was very hard for him to even consider a thought of leaving because a lot of people couldn't do that. And so really he's ministering to people through this war. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I've never, you know, I always saw my dad as a hero of faith, but today I actually recognize him as uh, as one of the biggest hero of faith and examples for me. The other day he ended up taking my sister and... um and just one of one of the guys of the camera crew, and they end up going to the center of the city, downtown Kherson, and they performed communion there, and they live streamed it to people that still have electricity and power, just to uplift their faith and their hope. And for the next twenty four hours, that city was like downtown was actually you know in in a safe uh, protection of Ukrainian military troops and police officers, which like has never been the case ever since they went through the city. So it does show. And when I was on the phone with my dad this morning, I said, well, how about, you know, going on a spiritual level with it? Like, is is it something, you know, that we can fight, you know, on a spiritual realm? And he said, that's the only way we can do it right now. So he started carrying little New Testaments, you know, and he said every single time he sees a Russian military, you know, soldier, he gives him one and he says, I know maybe you're not a believer. I don't know if you are, but if you're facing danger, please cry out to God and say, God, save me. This is the only thing you have to say. God, save me. If you're facing any danger, if you feel like you're going to die, please cry out to God. This is your chance to actually get eternal life. Wow. Um, I agree with your dad. It's very cool to see how prayer actually works. Like I've heard multiple stories of people just coming to churches as a bomb shelters, but then I saw today, actually, a couple of people got baptized in Kiev um, at the church bomb shelter um, and uh, how people through this situation could come to the Lord and cry out. And um, and we hope that this war will um, be beneficial in a way of people who come to the Lord from the Russian side, but also from the Ukrainian side. Mm-hmm. Does it does it feel a little little hopeless? Like, how are you guys feeling these days? I mean, I'm sure it's probably overwhelming talking with your parents who are in the middle of this. It's honestly very interesting because the more I talk to them, the more uplifting and hope giving it is, which is very interesting. Um, you would be thinking that in a situation that they're in, they would be, you know, kind of like looking for help and support, but they're able to provide like a clear understanding of what's happening. And when I find, you know, I ask and I look for an answer and I'm like, how are you guys staying so positive in in the midst of all of that? And I think what really grabs my attention is that they're so 
eternity-oriented people. They're, they know that this life on earth is something so temporary that people will be dying. Like, it's it's just a matter of time, you know, and unfortunately, a lot of people are dying under very, you know, life-threatening and suffering consequences, like from the war. But dying is only a matter of fact. So what really makes them to stay and go as strong as they are going right now is the idea that people are dying and they're going to spend their eternity in hell. Like, that just doesn't stand right with them. So they find a lot of hope and a lot of you know, vision in actually spreading the word of God, like right now in this moment, because people are dying and the life on earth, it goes very quick. It doesn't matter where you are, you know, like time in Canada flies, time in US flies, time in Ukraine flies. But, but the fact that people are dying and they don't have a hope of salvation or a chance for eternal life, that's what really moving them right now. You know, it's so interesting when you think about the New Testament and Jesus coming into the midst of an occupied land, right, that that had been fairly recently taken over by Rome. And so you could imagine people, you know, on the one hand, wanting Jesus to fight. And I think that there obviously are, you know, they're in a war and, and there's and there's fighting going on. But at the same time, with what you're saying, it's, it, you know, Jesus didn't lose focus on the war and and miss the bigger war that's happening and and that you like you're saying life is short and this is about something much bigger than just this life and what's happening here and that um and that the gospel speaks truth into this this bigger war that uh, allows us to to have hope um because i mean you can you can win the war and there'll be plenty more down the road but the the question of whether or not you have hope is is uh, a much bigger question in the in the face of death. That's very true. That's very interesting that you're touching on a subject of like faith and hope through the perspective of like what we are here for, you know. And when I was uh, praying today at the church, it was a very powerful prayer. As a matter of fact, like I think I've been into like three different like prayer services today, just because in a lot of ways, like people are now moved and uh, they understand the the extent of what this what this actually is, you know, like it's not just a conflict or it's not just a civil war. It's actually a war between two countries in Europe. And this is the scale, you know, bigger than anything ever since uh, World War II. So uh, one of the ladies during the sermon uh, came out to me and she said, I had a vision and uh, somebody touched her elbow. And then she looked beside and there was nobody, but she saw this vision and she said that there was a lot of angels and they were very powerful and strong and they were ready to go. And they were just waiting for the order to go. And then she said to God, God, well, why are they not going? Why are they not moving? Ukraine needs them. And God spoke to her and said, not all the evil has been revealed yet. And not all the people are actually crying out to God. So this is very interesting because what we're looking at from a biblical point of view, it's not something new to us. You know, we're talking about brother-sister nation, you know, in multiple cases, you know, Russia and Ukraine are called brother nations. Well, if you look at like Abel and Cain, you know, that's the story from the very beginning of the Bible. Greed, you know, uh, idea of like, I, I don't like how you are doing this. I want to do it my way, you know, and it's like, really, like this is what we are facing because that's what comes natural to us from the corruption of sin, right? Like what was initiated from the very beginning in the book of Genesis. And now when we're looking at it, it's like, 
And speaking of Ukrainian history, what I find very relevant right now and what I try to speak to Ukrainians all over the world right now is that if you look at Ukrainian anthem and if you look at the way we are, we glorify our country. We glorify our warriors. And even in our anthem, we say that we are going to die for our freedom. We are speaking it into existence. We are saying that we're going to die for our freedom, but also our enemies will, will die with us. So whatever we've been proclaiming in our anthem has been happening right now. And, you know, it has been a very big cost. And ever, every video, you know, that you watch in Ukrainian or Russian, they say, Slava Ukraini, Heroem Slava. So what it means is that glory to Ukraine, glory to the heroes. But if you think about it, you know, from a biblical perspective, God says that he's not going to share his glory with anyone. So unless Ukraine will fall on their knees, not before Russia, but before God and ask for salvation and freedom and God's path for Ukraine as a country, we're not going to experience that freedom. That's like my honest perspective. And I have been sharing with a lot of Ukrainians that and not it's it's very different perspective from Ukrainians. They're very patriotic, you know, they're very patriotic people, people, and they want to, you know, say that still, like, what do you mean? No glory to Ukraine. Like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, how have we been, you know, showing glory to Ukraine? This is, it can't be done like that. We need to glorify God in the first place. Yeah. And uh, now um, on Instagram, I started a trend asking actually our president to say in the, his videos, hey, like we need to say thank you to God. We need to ask God to come. Um, and a lot of churches have been posting and on Instagram asking our president to actually mention that, hey, we, we need God right now. Yes, we soldiers are doing an amazing job. And some Ukrainians, like the, the videos you see of Ukrainians coming out and trying to protect and throw bombs at uh, Russian troops or st stealing like um, uh, tanks. <laughs> But if unless they actually... Um, mentioned that we need God and actually pray together as a nation, I don't think things will move much. What, what's your, I know you don't have a crystal ball or, or you don't know the future, but what, you know, from talking with your family in Ukraine and what, what you see going on, what, what, what is the thoughts? What, what do they think Russia is up to Putin particularly? Um, there are, There, there are different opinions, uh, of course, and it is hard to predict what Putin actually wants. Um, what, like, I actually just listened to a podcast, um, talk, listening to his speech before um, everything happened um, in Ukraine, and he, um, he was talking about how uh, we need to show Ukraine what it actually means um, to go to Europe. Like, if you don't. Or want to be part of Europe. If you don't want to stop going there, I'll show you what it means to be part of Europe. So, but he he hopes to take over the whole land. It sounds like from his speech, but um, you can never predict um what he would do. Yeah, I guess I can only speak from from a perspective of visions and what people have been sharing. Um, there was this guy who came up to me today and he said, "Vitaly, the field is being prepared right now." As soon as I heard it, I, I remembered that, you know, um, Ukrainian channels, they united and they created a channel that's called United Ukraine because they don't care about brands. They don't care about names right now. You know, they just wanted to provide, you know, clear information for people to actually that's like valuable for their lives because they they live stream and they show on every channel in Ukraine right now that like, okay, you need to go to the bomb shelter or you need to, you know, evacuate. Like, so they... 
It's hard for them to get accurate information. Yeah. So right now they united all their strength and now all of their people are like checking, you know, whether it's correct information. Because like you mentioned before, there's a lot of propaganda coming. You know, people are saying like, yo, your president left the country, you know, and then people are posting it like, you know, Russian people are posting it on the Internet saying like, yo, like, you know, Ukrainian president flee. And then he posts a video in Kiev, you know, with his um, with his prime minister and people that are uh, protecting the country. Um, but what's very interesting about it is that besides all that propaganda, it's very hard to predict on a scale because we see Ukraine resisting and doing a very good job. It's not Ukraine that was back in 2014 corrupted by our previous president Yanukovych, who flee to Russia eventually, and his house actually became a museum of corruption. So... What we are watching and witnessing right now is that there is a Ukrainian president who refused to flee. Even Joe Biden, you know, he said, hey, like helicopter will come. We'll take you and your family. And he decided to say no to that. He said, we're not sure where his family is at and we're praying and hoping they're protected. But he himself decided to take the weapon and go protect the city and the country. So that has been a very big example of like heroism and just kind of like, you know, a, a, a picture of hope. And it's very hard to predict where Ukraine is going to be in terms of, you know, political stand or how this war is going to turn out. And obviously, I want to say that Ukraine is going to be able to stand on the idea of being a sovereign country and its own country. But from a spiritual point of view, we know and it's hard to, you know, to to say that this is not the case, because what we see is that people are being prepared and there is going to be a massive work. There's going to be a massive work of the Holy Spirit in that location, in the area, Eastern Europe. There are so many prophecies, you know, and visions about like how missionaries used to come to, you know, to Eastern Europe, um, you know, and, and like Western Europe and, you know, from Western world. But now there's a lot of people, you know, saying we'll be coming out from that specific area. So regardless of what's happening, what I want to say is that whatever enemy meant for, you know, for evil will actually be turned into something good by our God. You know, it's it's interesting that you say that, Vitaly, because often when we think about war, we think the only way to win a war is by fighting, by taking up arms. But what you're saying is, no, there's another way to win this war, and, and that actually is revival. I mean, it, it, I, it's an interesting thought, isn't it, to pray, man, God, use the Ukrainian people to have move a, a revival that sweeps across Russia. That's so true. I, you know, I've been very proactive in sharing information on my Instagram and just educating people on Ukrainian history and sharing what's actually happening there right now. And one of the people reached out to me and he said, uh, well, you know, you glorify your president by taking the weapon and defending your country. Well, what are you doing in Canada then? You know, why are you not going back? And I said, I actually really appreciate your question because this is speaks right into my heart. I This is a battle for me. You know, every day I wake up, I'm like, why am I not there? And then God reminds me that he has me there, for, like here for a reason. And and then I realized, you know, I, I spoke to some people and they were like, Vitaly, you, you know, and, and I was ready to go. I was going to call my parents and say, hey, like, I'm not sure when I'm going to connect with you next. I'm booking a flight going to Poland and crossing the border. Um, and I realized that if you're doing that, you will never have a say where you're going in Ukraine. They'll mobilize you and take you to the most dangerous part of Ukraine and give you the weapon and, you know, minimal training. 
on what you're going to be doing. So then when I started considering it, you know, and finding, you know, immigration lawyer to help my sisters moving from Poland to Ukraine as I'm there, you know, several people reached out to me and, and even like speaking to my girlfriend, she really brought up a really good point. She said, well, you're saying that, you know, you're going to go and you're going to fight and you're going to, you know, you're saying that this is the answer. Like, is this really what you believe in? You know, do you believe that this is the answer to take the weapon and, 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 you know, and shoot back? Like, do you imagine like the heaviness of living, you know, with an idea that you actually ended someone's life when this is not, you know, the core of who you are. And I realized this is so true. Like I cannot imagine ending a war by killing someone. So this is not where I stand. And I really wish that war never happened. Yeah. And I would say that we all have a play in it as well. Uh, like there are people in Ukraine fighting, physically fighting. And we as people in Canada or as a relatives of people there, the only couple like couple things we can do is we can pray because we can stand in this spiritual war against Ukraine and pray for revival in Ukraine and in Russia because Russian people have so many relatives in Ukraine and not not all of them are bad or believe in propaganda all some of them like I have uh, very good friends there whose grandma and grandpa lives in Ukraine and um, they hear this information and they um hear information from their grandparents not from propaganda but uh, they're praying there too and they're talking to people and they're um, hearing people ask very hard question uh, questions so uh, please pray for revival in their country as well yeah I mean it's interesting talking with you this is a this is an aspect of this war that I hadn't really thought about and that is how you feel uh, having friends and family in the middle of all this fighting. And, you know, I'm sure you feel, you know, a mix of emotions. One, maybe, you know, being thankful for not being there, but really from hearing you, it's also, you know, guilt and other things, feeling like you should be there. And and I'm sure you must just be an absolute mix of emotions. I honestly, I, I hadn't even thought, I, mean, I hadn't even thought about that until you started talking, Vitaly and, started bringing that up and I thought about, well, man, I'm actually from the United States and I think to myself, well, if there was, you know, a war happening there and to know your friends and your family and all these people are involved, you know, that's, that's gotta be absolutely gut-wrenching. Yeah, it's definitely very hard. Like I actually just, right before uh, this thing happened, I actually applied to a work with MCC in Ukraine and I feel guilty not being there because I'm like oh there's so much need and so much help and like I I could do something uh and I realize that actually like I can here be here I can spread truthful information and share history of Ukraine um ask people to pray um maybe collect finances for people to um help others in Ukraine and uh, yeah, just emotional support of my friends. Like I've been on a phone constantly and I'm part of a Christian doctor association. I'm one of their counselors for um, people that need emotional uh, support. Um, So we need those people as well. And something I would say for Canadians who um, support missionaries in Ukraine, please stay calm. And um, if you do talk to those people, like the best thing you can do right now is to pray and be a calm, steady voice, uh, because I definitely encountered many people that 
panic and I had to, I'm panicking and I had to calm them down. I'm like, ah. So it's been, um, so yeah, can you imagine if they're cold people in Ukraine? And uh, so yeah, please stay calm, pray. Um, if you can support, support financially the missionaries or organizations you know about, uh, that would be the best help. Yeah, I think to like adding a little bit to this, I I never thought that, you know, February 24th would be something that I would completely, you know, remember and have engraved in my memory. It's my brother's birthday who was in Ukraine when the war started. So now, you know, thinking of that, that that date became very detrimental right now. And we've been counting days and nights, you know, and really hoping for that to end. But I actually don't remember. And I think for Zlata, it's the same, like where I actually slept for more than, you know, an hour or so because you constantly get a message, you know. And Ukraine is actually 10 hours ahead from where we are, you know, Canada here in B.C., uh, Abbotsford. So they're 10 hours ahead. So when people are going to bed here, people in Ukraine are waking up and they're very thankful for every day that they get to live. So when you're trying to connect with them and check if they're still alive, you're like, you know, you're staying awake, you know giving them hope and giving them idea that somebody else like somebody else is still you know curious if they're even alive and and will be able to help them if they ever get out of the situation and then when people in Ukraine go to bed I'm you know we're trying to stay awake to connect with people here like immigration lawyers you know and embassies and people that are that have more answers on how to actually get a visa for, you know, for family or somebody who made it out alive. And there's so many teenagers at the border right now. Some of them don't even have passports. And we're trying to figure it out and, you know, asking people, like pulling all the connections that we possibly can very carefully, because we also understand that this is two different realities. You know, people are trying to aim and still achieve their own goals as like people on the other side of the country or, or the world are dying. And it's very difficult because you don't want to disrupt anyone else's life. You know, that's not their concern and that's very understandable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always a balancing act, isn't it? But as Christians, we want to um, continue to pray. We want to continue to see how can we help, um, which can be frustrating when you're abroad and it's not as easy to know how, how to help or what that's going to look like. But being open to two opportunities to help is, I think, one of the things that's 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 always key with regards to that. What what would you you know as we kind of wrap things up here? What what would you say are are some major prayer concerns that that people could be praying about? Um, I think one thing is for revival uh, of Ukraine and Russia, um, people in Ukraine and Russia. Uh, secondly, for um, overwhelming God's knowledge and wisdom. A lot of people have to make quick decisions and they just... Life and death Yeah, and they just don't know what to do. So I think that's been a big prayer request for them. Because I, I, that was one of the thoughts that went through my mind is I'm like, people, this is their livelihood. This is their home. This is their their city. Their t- like, it's not it's not just easy to, to leave or to, to know what to do. I mean... I could I couldn't even imagine all that they're um weighing in the decisions that they're making. Wisdom right now is a is a huge need, I'm sure, for those people. Yeah, and I, I do believe like there's a gift of wisdom and knowledge and that's been my prayer for like my dad as he makes decisions for the whole family, for the whole team of the pro uh, nonprofit he works for, for the church. Um and but also there's um 
I think wisdom and knowledge needed for everyone who is in there currently, whether they're already made it to Western Ukraine and try to cross the borders or decided to stay, or for the ones that are like Vitaly's parents in Kherson or my friends in Zaporozhye, how to help people and or how to help soldiers. Yeah, how, do you pass, how do you pastor in the midst of this? I mean, you think pastoring during COVID was hard. Yep. <laughs> pastoring in a war needs a lot of prayer. Yeah, I definitely caught myself thinking today, you know, it has been the most difficult time of my life to actually say God is good, you know. And I still do. I still do. I look at this, you know, at the situation. I look at the danger that my family is facing every day. And I still say that God is good. I don't have to know, you know, how he's working. I don't have to see how he's working. And that's the challenge that Christians all around the world are facing right now. When you see those kind of things, you know, are you still going to be able to say that God is not just God, but he's a good God, you know, when we can still trust him and all his works. Yeah. And I, that's, that's, so, that's such an important point. I, I don't know how God's working, but I trust that he is working. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if we're facing a question, you know, what could we pray for? Because a lot of people, which I'm really thankful for, have been very intentional about their prayers, you know, and I've been passing along like the names of people that I know and soldiers on, you know, they're facing very difficult circumstances right now. And as you mentioned before, life and death decisions and, I really appreciate those people that very take it intentionally, you know, prayer, because it does move mountains and it does create a lot of miracles and opportunities for people to actually, you know, witness and be testimonies, you know, to, to others. And um, one of the most intentional prayers that I'm, you know, uh, praying for, and I, and I really, I'm, I'm really praying to God that all the, you know, little children and kids that are experience, experiencing this, traumatic, traumatic, traumatic events right now. Like, I really hope that somehow that will be something that will make them stronger people, more, you know, like ethic and moral oriented people. And I think um, it, it, it's been very um, important for, for us to pray for children's like mental health and just for people. Like a lot of mothers are crying right now and their kids don't understand, their children don't understand what's going on. We're talking, you know, babies are being born in Subway, you know, in, in Kharkiv. In in my hometown, you know, there were twins born in, you know, in a bomb shelter. Like, that's what we we're talking about. And uh, what's really important right now is also pray. Pray a lot for our president, Vladimir Zelensky. He needs a lot of help. He's got a lot of, you know, support from the world in terms of, like, what kind of character of a person he is, you know, like what kind of... Can I ask a quick question on that? Yeah. Uh, is it true that he's a he's an actor? Absolutely. He used to be a comedian. comedian. He used yeah. to be a comedian. Yeah. yeah. When I, when he first became a president, like the way that he even became president, he wrote, uh, he made a TV show, three seasons of TV show, kind of explaining how the regular person could become a president. Can you imagine? Like, and then that was his uh, actually com president campaigning. Yeah. But I was so skeptical about him becoming a president. But, you know, I think now I realize this is who we needed. Like when he is not giving up, given into Russia, but he is standing very strong. He's shown a lot of courage. Yes. This is exactly who we needed, actually, because, you know, he he's shown the world that, you know, there is a way of leading, you know, your people and and standing on what you believe and not running away, even when you're experiencing like the most dangerous circumstance, like and um 
I love our people so much. Like I love Ukrainians. Like we are such a, you know, we we love humor. Like we we uh, oh, we yes. appreciate sense of humor a lot. And it's crazy because the messages that we get on Telegram about you know the announcements like come to the bomb shelter or you know people in Kharkiv, you know, thirty children needs uh, they need uh, food in the hospital. Like please come out. And then you know once in a while you'll see like a funny message and there was a funny message circulating in a t- on Telegram and they were saying that which is true like Joe Biden was looking for a helicopter you know and he said hey um, Vladimir Zelensky we would love to uh, take you right now from Kiev you know flee the war just come here we'll protect you and we'll give you a shelter and a safe place to stay but turns out that they were you know and this is a joke obviously but they were they were saying that they couldn't find a helicopter that would be strong enough to lift such a strong moral and ethic you know and i'm obviously saying it in a very nice way because they were saying it very differently you know in a joke and kind of like more of a more of a you know kind of like a vulgar way but to describe like his character and his strength in such uh unprecedented times yeah but i think my biggest prayer for him would be um just that he would recognize that there there is god and he needs god more than any other country in the world um that's that would be my prayer for him that's very true i mean it doesn't matter how strong the nation is in you know in the like in biblical stories and stuff and it never succeeded without god like it doesn't matter how strong how wealthy you know how healthy they are like there's no way you can actually you know do it properly without god he's the ultimate leader for sure so what i hear you saying is that to that that the leaders need they they need prayer particularly this this president that he that he needs prayer as he's leading that there is just this need for god to to do a work uh i i think it's so interesting how you you come back to this idea you know cuz i we tend to get caught up in all sorts of other things um and as christians this is what we believe is is core to who we are that we fight on our on our knees as we come before the lord asking that god would move and that that god can do a work um in in hardened hearts and even when a heart is so hardened that it that it won't relent god can still move in miraculous ways and we can trust and have good reason to trust that that he is at work and that we can know that that as you've said that he is working all things out for his good purposes easier to say than than done and to walk in but i think this is a good place for us uh just to to end in in prayer as we just end in prayer normally i would i would pray as before we even started this podcast uh, i prayed but you know i would i would actually really love it if if you guys would end us in in prayer as as we as we go dear lord i um thank you so much for the ability to come together and yeah just share our thoughts and yeah just lift uh ukraine uh, up to you lord i just pray for um our president right now as he directs um everything uh, in ukraine and as they're going to have um communication with russia on belarusian belarusian land um just pray for wisdom uh lord but also that he will come to you lord and he would uh, ask you for help first uh before any other country in the world um and i will pray for our soldiers uh, lord i pray that you'll uh, protect them uh and you will give them overwhelming strength that they would protect our country 
Lord, I pray for uh, people that are being displaced uh, in Western Ukraine, Lord, uh, that they have to make a lot of decisions whether stay or leave. Lord, I pray for um, church leaders and humanitarian organization leaders that um, are accepting um, people. I just pray for um, their wisdom and that they would, despite of this hard situation, they would be able to listen to people's stories and uh, just bring hope into their lives. Uh, Lord, I also pray uh, for people on eastern Ukraine and the central Ukraine that are experiencing bombing. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you will keep them safe uh, and you will um, yeah, just guide all the conversations that are uh, being there um, in their bomb shelters and um, that are going on, Lord. And I just pray that, um, yeah, you would show your um, care and your guidance in those hard um, moments as well, Lord. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, your love. And you are good, Lord. Господь наш Батько Небесний, попереду все наша надія тільки на Тебе, Господь. Ми не можемо сподіватися на гроші, на інших людей, на інші держави, Господь. Наша надія лише на Тебе. Ми благаємо Тебе за, за мир, за те, щоб Твій спокій прийшов нарешті на нашу землю. Господь, ми знаємо, що Твої янголи, вони чекають. Вони чекають, коли Ти даш їм а, дозвіл на те, щоб просто йти і зупиняти, зупиняти насилля, зупиняти біль зупиняти все те, що не приходить від Тебе, Господь. Я довіряю Тобі нашу державу, нашу неньку Україну, Господь, там, де зараз наші батьки, там, де зараз наші брати та сестри, Господь, я дуже, я благаю Тебе, Господь, я благаю, що Ти почуєш наші молитви, і також я, а, я говорю, і я провозглашаю, Господь, що Ти є Бог нашої країни, України, Господь, я провозглашаю, що Ти є Бог над, а, всім, над всім миром, Господь, у всьому світу, Господь, Ти покажеш, що Ти є Цар Небесний, який має під своєю властю, Господь, все. І кожну людину, Ти знаєш, а за її ім'ям, Господь, я молю Тебе за дітей, за дорослих, за батьків, за всіх, хто мають приймати рішення в цей нелегкий час, Господь. Я довіряю повністю Тобі і кликаю Тебе на допомогу, Господь, тому що допомога моя приходить з гір. Там, де Ти є, Господь. Тому ми вклоняємося Тобі і проголошуємо, що Ти є цар над усією землею. Амінь. Амінь. Віталій, ви праєте, я думаю, що Бог працює на багато українських праєв зараз. Багато українських праєв. І я праєте, як ви слухаєте це, що Бог працює на багато канадських праєв. І де ви працює, як ви слухаєте цей подкаст зараз, давайте працювати разом. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada. This podcast was recorded on Sunday, February 27th. So as we are talking and as we're praying, that that this is the moment that, that we're praying into. But as things continue to progress, let us continue to come in prayer. And 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 as was really voiced today and 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 really ministered to me, and I pray to you that there is a bigger war going on and that ultimately for this fighting to come. Uh, we need God to move. I was reminded before we did this podcast of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount when Jesus taught that blessed are the peacemakers and that this this is what we want to be. We don't want to be war makers. We want to be peacemakers and we want to see peace come. But that can only happen through Jesus. And if we believe that, 
then we will continue to find ourselves on our knees as we pray and ask God to move in this world.